Today, I, I want to uh, move into somewhat of a, a follow-up of last week's message. We're going to kind of uh, wrap up on one slide, kind of where we've been for a number of weeks, pull that together, and press into something that really um, is an important part of our life being different uh, and, and the way that Jesus has called us to be different. I've called this connected to God, connected to you. You're up, meaning kind of like batter up. It's your turn uh, to, to step up and to step in. Uh, the you is, in this case, not necessarily you. It's you, 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 you. It's we. But I want us to take it very personally. Uh, the idea of uh, stepping into the you of the Bible, to, to step into that person. We've been talking in home group, kind of some exciting things of what really happens when somebody um, accepts Christ as their Savior, the language uh, we get saved. What, what actually happens there? What is that about? And so often it's kind of dumbed down. And, and in that bringing it down, and it's okay for it to be simple. I know when I came to Christ, I had no idea what I had done. But, but the extravagance and the, and, the, and the power of what happened is really what can drive and motivate us in our understanding. So in short, here's what the scripture says happens. Uh, and you're going to see it goes beyond, uh, now I'm going to go to heaven. Now I'm going to have eternal life. Uh, it is really about this transfer uh, from one kingdom to another. And, and the scripture says that we are rescued out of Satan's evil kingdom. And it is the kingdom that carries influence over you, whether you know it or not. It is the boss you answer to, whether you know it or not. And it will determine your ending, whether you understand that or not. So there's this, there's this kingdom that we are really a part of. And God rescues us from that kingdom. He rescues us from his wrath, which was all the things that we did wrong that have been built up against us. He rescues us from that. And he does this amazing thing. He reconnects us with himself. And he delivers us into his kingdom. A very different world. A very different way of being you. And in that place, if you will see yourself going from one allegiance to another, from one kingdom to another, recognizing uh, it is a different language. It is a different value system. It's different priorities. What matters has changed. All of it becomes different. It is very different. Our allegiance now is different. And, and what makes it all possible is we have been restored to God. We've been reconnected with him. And we're in a right standing with him. We don't have to be afraid of him. We can walk with him. We can experience his love. We can, it's safe to love him back. 
And that connection is what makes everything so powerful and it's what makes it so possible. So there's this motive that the Bible gives of love that he pursues you and I. He loves you. He's always loved you. He loves me. And in that, there's this reconnection with God when we come to Christ, when we say, I surrender my power of being Lord of my life, and I invite Jesus to do that, that I can be restored with God, that I can experience that love, and I'm safe to love in return. And we've talked about that connection, of how that connection also includes this amazing reality that we are now connected in a way that God can talk to you. And you can hear him. It'll sound like your own voice. It'll sound like your stomach grumbling. It'll sound like an idea. It'll sound like something. But God has the power to speak from within. We've talked about how impactful that is, that now it allows you and I to be the people of God in the moment. Not just when you're on your knees somewhere, not just when you're in church, but every moment because now God has become a part of your moment by his spirit being in you. So that connection becomes all-powerful, and it changes everything. And then we spoke about desiring God. Many of us, I think, just don't look at God that way. We desire a lot of things. But to desire God, and I, I had some pushback from people uh, that I, I challenge that desire has to come really before discipline and obedience. I had some people disagree with me. Uh, that's okay. You're free to be wrong. Uh, I'm kidding. You're, you're free to think whatever you want to think. But my point is, is what will make us pursue a discipline is we desire to get to know God more. What what motivates us to do something toward God is there is some desire or need or purpose that we want to connect with God. It can be that I want to want to love God. I want to want to connect with God. But the reality is, do we acknowledge and are we willing to nurture a desire for God? Or is our desire more about things? And, and are we confused and are we distracted by other things? And so we lose this reality that there's a love that pursues me. And there's a connection that makes it possible for me to be close to God. And that I want to desire him. I want to do things in my life that make that desire a real and a positive part of who I am. Because the things I desire, I pursue. I desire chocolate pie, not just any chocolate pie, but my wife and my mother's chocolate pie. And I, I tell you, I am a shameless fool when it comes to what I will bargain to get that chocolate pie. This is a true statement. I am, I am shameless. Uh, when my mother says, you know, can you rebuild our house? I say, yes, it'll cost you a chocolate pie. I will do almost anything for that 
chocolate pie. And if I am selfish in the world about something, I am selfish about that chocolate pie. I went with Carlos to California one time, and I took some chocolate pie. And the reason I took it is I knew by the time I got back, it would all be gone. So I took it. All of it. And I sat in our hotel that we were sharing in the bathroom with the door locked, eating my chocolate pie. A true story. Now you see, that's not desire, that's addiction, you know. Shouldn't, uh, anyway, let's forget that example. When we desire a certain relationship, we, we figure out ways to make that happen. When we want or need something uh, that, that we see as, wow, I, how can I make this happen? How can I afford that car? I want to go to that concert. I don't have the money and I'm working that night. What can I do? You can trade shifts with someone instead of calling in sick. Some of us will call in sick. Some of us will just not show up and get fired, but at least you got to go to the concert. You see, when we want something, we begin to invest ourselves in the pursuit of it. And when we leave God as kind of an add-on, kind of a, a philosophy of life, and we, we fail to connect with the God who speaks to your insides and speaks life and love and affirmation and grace. If you, if you listen to the God inside, he will say a lot more good things to you than he does corrections. Well, maybe for some of us, we have a lot of correcting. But he is loving on you and I. And if we recognized it, we would desire him. We would want his interventions. Years ago in flight school, I had, a, um, I had an impossible professor. Um, he, he considered himself impossible. And, uh, and on test day, uh, he would come into the class uh, and he would wear a shirt. And it was a Chevrolet shirt, uh, I think, because he, I think he, he did own a Corvette. And he would stand in front of the class, you know, facing the class, kind of a Mr. Clean stance. And uh, this, is, this is right before the test. And then he would jump up in the air like this. He would turn like this with his back to us. And on the back of the shirt, it said, your mission is impossible. And he prided himself in the fact that over five years, no one had ever scored a perfect grade on his test. Many people did not like him. Actually, most people did not like him. But I liked him. And he would walk through between the desks as you're taking your test, and he would stare at your paper, and he would offend people, and people would cover their paper like, back off. But I didn't do that, because one day when he was walking by, he looked at one of my answers, and he pointed it to it, and he gave me a frown. The frown probably means that answer is wrong, isn't it? Yeah. 
I appreciated that frown. I picked up five points on that frown. My answer proved impossible. I said, you needed to turn to a course of 376 degrees. If you know anything about a compass, there is not a 376 degrees. It only goes to 360 degrees. That's where math can get you in trouble in a circle. I did the math correctly, but it should be 016 degrees. That would have been wrong in his book. So the next time he came around, I would have it positioned to another question I wasn't <laughs> sure about. I'm kind of pointing. <laughs> Looking for the smile or the frown. I don't care which one it is. Give me one. You see, that's God. You can cover your paper. God, stop bothering me. And he will. He'll walk by, and your answers will be wrong. And your life will be full of wrong answers. And you will be the victim over and over again of life. And what God would say is, why don't you let me help you with your test? You keep putting down really stupid answers, Bill. And once I figure out, he knows the answers to my test. And I, if I will humble myself and say, God, let's look at my test. Now, I may not like his correct answer. But it doesn't change the fact that it's correct, does it? I might say, God, here's my strategy to go to this concert. What do you think? And he goes, that is not the answer I wanted. You know, God is going to make it where I can't go to the concert. I don't want him to look at my paper anymore. He's working against me. That's how it feels. And God would say, I've never worked against you. I never work against you. Very often you work against me, but I never work against you. So we add to this desire for God the humility it takes to Open up your paper and let him have a voice in your paper. It's so easy to make everybody our level. It's so easy to want people to be our level or below. We don't want to think of anybody as bigger or better than we are. But maybe God is. Maybe he is bigger and better. Maybe the truth is we really need him to be bigger and better because we need a bigger and better God who's helping us. Maybe we need to put him in that place of God and we take the place of his child. You see, a life that is lived like this, the one I'm describing, that acknowledges the pursuit of love by God 
that reconnects us through, the, through the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus on the cross. We're reconnected, reunited. We're able to talk, listen, love, laugh, all that with God himself. We're able to desire him and be desired. I'm able to allow myself to fall in love with him and to dream about him and to, and to fantasize about things we'll do together. You ever think about that? Fantasizing on doing great things with God. We don't do that enough. We fantasize about a lot of things. Being rich, having a big boat, having a big airplane. You know, uh, doing whatever it is. But the truth is, do we fantasize about life with God? How great and how amazing it could be. It's big change. And so when you add this together and you say this desire, and I'm going to put myself in a place with humility that I can receive from God, and he can hear me and I can hear him, and we can walk together, and I want to, I want to live that life. Several weeks ago, we were in Mexico and had kind of a challenging message, message and a lot of people responded to it. And there's a, a young man, uh, maybe 18, 19 years old, um, responded to that challenge about God in his life. And I just got a report yesterday uh, from a friend of his. Every time he sees him, he tells me something else he's figured out to surrender to God. Isn't that crazy thinking? Uh, his friend's name is Carlos. Carlos, you know what? I figured out I'm going to give this to God. I I'm going to give this to God. He said, every day for the last three weeks, he says he's figured out something else that he can give to God. Hear how different that is that every day I'm trying to take something back from God? I'm trying to keep God from taking something that I really have a strategy for. He's desiring God. He's desiring a God that connects with him and loves him. These changes are not easy. And the way I'd like to look at this, go back, Betty. I want, you, I want to ask you a question, not to answer for me, but to answer for yourself. Look back over the last year. I tell you what, just close your eyes. Look back over the last year for yourself. And I want you to think about three things that have changed in your life because God was in your life. Of course, this is if God is in your life. Think of three things over the last 12 months that have changed because God is in your life. Now, I, I want you... to think about somebody else in this room. Keep your eyes closed. 
If you have to look around to see who's in the room, that's all right. I want you to think about one thing that has changed in that person's life because of Jesus. One thing that you know has changed in that person's life because of Jesus. Okay. Sometimes it's hard to come up with those changes that we credit to Jesus. It's hard to come up with those places that Jesus has authored a change in my life. You know, this next picture... I think rightly represents our struggle with change. We have the chameleon. They change to match their environment. They do it for protection. We do the same. We look different at church sometimes. Then we look at the bar on Friday night. Then we look at the baseball or football game on Saturday night. Or it kicks the week before. We look different. There we look different than we look here. Or when we're somewhere with this group of people and that group of people. We do that for protection. We do that for the protection of other people as well. You know, it's like no harm, no foul kind of thing. But it's not really change, is it? It looks like change. It can even feel like change when we're in an environment for a while that we haven't been to the other environment for a while. But the one at the bottom represents a transformation where a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Aren't you glad that God didn't do that the other way around? How would you like to be a caterpillar going, dang, I used to be one of those. Now I'm stuck here crawling around real slow on leaves. That is a change, a transformation. It's not about protection, it's about identity. So maybe a question for us, instead of how's it going, maybe it needs to be how's it changing? That's hard, how's it changing? I don't know, not so much. How's what changing? How's anything changing? What I have recognized is that in humanity, change in our life is very often a degrading one if it's not intentional. Like, um, well, I'll give you some examples here. All right, is anybody familiar with these coupon books? Go ahead, Betty. You buy them for 30, 40 bucks, something like that, from somebody in band or something. Back up, Betty. There you go. Thank you. 
Uh, and there's like $200 worth of coupons in there. And how many of us buy those things and we have never used $40 worth of coupons out of it? Anybody? How many of us have more than one of those under the car seat somewhere? You know, we might have it, we might understand it, but it doesn't mean we're going to use it, even with the best of intentions. Or how about those mail-in rebates? How many of you have neglected to send in a mail-in rebate or you still have it from like eight years ago? You still intend to send it in. I see one hand. There's two. The rest of you, we'll pray for you later. I still have a, uh, I still have a, a monitor box with a $50 rebate from like, I don't know, 10 years ago. It's at my parents' house somewhere. I think the company is out of business. Or how about those gift certificates that have an expiration date? Anybody ever blown one of those? You show up and go, oh, wow, that was out like seven months ago. Or you bought a membership at a gym with great ideas about being in shape or and then you never went. Some of you, you never went. And then some of you actually renewed it. And then never went. <clears throat> I know at least one here has done that. But I won't say my name. You see... Change does not come easy. Not change that is a valuable change. Our lives stay stuck very often because we are stuck. Because change will require risk. It requires making decisions that are going to test your mettle. It's going to require you to make statements to people who are going to doubt you and mock you because they've heard you attempt change before. You're going to find that change is difficult because we have created a groove in our world where the people know where we belong, know where we live in our groove, and they don't make it easy for us to get out of our groove either. And we don't make it easy to get out of our groove. And the idea of radically following Jesus and seeing the amazement of God, not the boringness of God, and to see powerful things happen, to truly be full of joy and contentment and happiness in your soul, wow, that's a big risk, isn't it? That's a huge 
risk. You see, the change we talk about when we are rescued out of the kingdom of Satan and we are delivered into the kingdom of God and we are reconnected with God in a powerful and a passionate and in an intimate way and the love that pursued us has been, has in the, is, the, is the place we now get to enjoy. Now we pursue a desire of him. And we humble ourselves that we rightly receive abundance from him. That's a radical change. It's radical. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And for many of us, it's an intimidating change. Because for some of us, the unknown is intimidating. And for some of us, we don't think we can make it. And if we don't, who will know? I'll tell you two people who will know, or two individuals. You will know. You will know you're not there. You'll be searching the last year of your life looking for one change that you feel like God orchestrated in your life. Just one. And you'll also realize that if you go to a church, you probably don't know very many people at all where you recognize a change in their life. See, we, we don't know how other people are doing around us. Part of the struggle of asking somebody else, how's your change going? Are, are you in the communication with God? Are you in his love? Are you in his presence? Is it bringing change in you? Are you taking risk with him? Is your life being transformed? Is it being filled with life? Are you filled with desire and love? Are you still full of drama and dissension and struggle and bitterness? And, and you're a victim at every turn. You see, the world can look at our lives, listen to our dialogue, and they know, wow, you don't sound like you're in the love of the Father. You don't sound like you're connected with eternal hope eternal power, eternal glory that's operating in your life right now. Per perhaps we make it hard to believe. And I'm not talking about specifically you. I, I'm, it's, a, it's a generic question about what is our condition? Yesterday, we were traveling, and we stopped in a convenience store, and the guy behind the counter uh, gave me change, and then uh, Melinda asked him, uh, is there anything we can pray for you? He was uh, a person of uh, an Indian heritage, and he looked, and he smiled, and he said, uh, no, I'm okay, thank you. And he just kept staring at Melinda 
He said, I've worked here over two years and no one's ever asked me that question. I thought about that. I thought about that for a long time. Here's what struck me. I've been on this planet 57 years. And outside of the church I go to, I don't recall ever hearing that. I recall hearing a lot of things from strangers, but not that. That's not in the top million. This is where you come in. This is where I come in. That's the proverbial we. You see, we all operate in a little bit of a groove of life. And we're often surrounded by people who know us or think they know us. They know our weaknesses. They know our struggles. Why? Because they clean after us. Clean up after us on some of that stuff. Because they've had a role where they've seen you forget your keys enough times, lose your glasses enough times, lose your temper enough times, lie enough times, disappoint enough times. We build kind of a groove that we operate in. Sometimes our problem is we need other people to participate in our groove. And this is where you and I come in. The truth is, in the church, what we should experience is that you know that what I have done is I have invited Jesus into my life that I have stepped into that love, that I have been rescued from the kingdom of Satan, that I have been delivered into the kingdom of God, that, that he is lavishing his love on me regardless of how I look perhaps at the moment, and that this is my desire to pursue him. And since you know that about me, and since I know that about you, we have something very powerful in common. Indeed, we are going in the same direction to the same place. We have now become comrades. We have now become fellow travelers. And I need you. I need you. I do. I need you to believe in me. You need me to believe in you. You need truth from me. You need me to challenge you. I need you to challenge me. I don't need you to agree with me. 
I need to be able to open my paper up to you and you, being filled with God, are also willing to say, that answer is wrong. It's not about judging one another. It's about the scripture and it's about the love of Christ in people who believe in one another. Challenging, encouraging, being the greatest cheerleader possible for those around them. To change the group. Hebrews 10, 24, this is in the NIV. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you hear the language there? Think about how to encourage one another. Consider it. Wonder about it. Let it be a part of what is a priority for you. Think about the person next to you and the person next to them, the people you don't know in the room. How can you take a position in lives that they are blessed by you? How can I spur someone on? That doesn't mean beat someone up. That's just spur them on. As a pastor, when I ask people, gosh, haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been? I just, it always, I hate saying that because I feel like people just take it as a guilt trip. If you hear that from me, it's not a guilt trip. I am thrilled to death you're here. I'm thrilled. And I want you to be here. And when you're not here, I don't like it. Why? It's not about legalism. It's because we are better together. When we are spurring one another on, when we are encouraging one another, when we are bringing to the table the love of God, the, 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 the desire of God, all the things that go on, when you bring that here, it, you, you're sharing it with us just to walk through the door. We need one another. It helps to change our groove. It helps to make a different groove. A groove that when we get to the end of the year, I can think of more than three things where I felt like God really brought a change in my life. And I feel the progress of my life. And I know about the change that's occurring in the lives of my friends and my fellow journeymen because I've watched them and I've been able to engage with them and I've been able to love them because we're going together. This is what makes home groups so important that we go together. We encourage one another. We challenge one another. We spur one another on. And when you're with me, when you're in my life, 
I make better decisions. That's the truth. I make better decisions. We spur one another on. Go ahead and back up. To love and good deeds. We make sure we make time to be together. We make sure there's some time to spur one another on, to encourage one another. Colossians 3.16, this is the NIV. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. That's kind of a word for counseling. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom uh, through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God, gratitude in your heart. It's saying, bring that relationship you have with God Bring the wisdom that God is granting you. You see, this is why each of us has a role. We need to know the scripture. We need to be in intimate relationship with God. I need you to be that. I need for you to be that. And when you are, it helps me. If you have four or five people that really know the Bible in your church, all those other people are being brought to a place of doing what God is doing, but not giving them any of the tools that God intended you to have. The Bible is important. What God says is important. And that's what allows you to speak into the lives of others is God gives you wisdom. Let the message be the instrument that spurs on love and good deeds. First Corinthians 14, 26. This is also NIV. What shall we say, uh, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Do you see what this says? This isn't so that the pastor builds up the church or the elders or the leaders of some sort. What this says is when you show up, Bring something. You know, if you, if you go to a party and you bring a dessert, you bring the chips and the salsa, you are a blessing. You bring something. Now, it doesn't mean everybody at the party has to bring something, and if they don't bring something, we throw them out, does it? We never throw somebody out. You brought no chips. You didn't bring ice. You're out of here. We don't, we don't even think that way. It, it's not... What is expected of people? It's the privilege that people have. Bring something. God has gifts. 
a word, a word of encouragement. Wow, to come with a word of encouragement. You know, about, it's uh, been a little while back, there's a um, young lady that used to go to our church that hasn't for a couple of years. She shows up one morning. She goes to a different church, but she shows up and says, God woke me up at two or three this morning and gave me a word for your church, a word of encouragement. And she shared that word, and then she left to go to her church. It was such a blessing. It was such an encouragement. Doesn't that show the love of Jesus? He would, he would, he would send in somebody from the outside to come in with this word of encouragement for the church. Maybe God will wake you up at two or three in the morning. Maybe you won't like that, but he'll probably help you get back to sleep. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 16. He makes the whole body, this is the body of Christ. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's you. That's me. We have a role, and it's a perfect role. And not only do we fit, but we have a role in the growth of the body of Christ. Everybody gets to play. The... Um, the scripture really identifies you and I as this powerful package. The qualifying piece is not that you don't have sin or you've kicked all of your addictions or, you know, you're five foot or above, whatever. It is, it is that you have this relationship. This one that's covered in love. And you're connected with the God who loves. And you're able to bless people in his name. And you're able to receive blessing in his name. And you encourage and challenge in his name. And you receive encouragement and courage and challenge in his name. You have your gifts. The scripture identifies gifts as Gifts of prophecy, uh, gifts of evangelism, gifts of preaching and teaching, gifts of hospitality, all kinds of gifts. And it's really what they're called. They're gifts, and they're imparted to people, that people have something to bring to the party. That's how it works. Nobody, you know, is the little drummer boy who doesn't have anything to bring but you know, playing a song. We are born with the things of God that are powerful 
to impart to others for growth in life. So I want you to close your eyes one more time. What gifts do you bring? And if you don't know, that's okay. What gifts do you bring? With your eyes still closed, I want you to consider who are the evangelists in this room? Are there any? Do we know? Who are the teachers in this room? Who are the workers of miracles in this room? Who are the prophets? You can open your eyes. You see, in order to encourage one another, to spur one another on, it's great to encourage someone in the gifts that God has given them. We just have to be looking for the gifts in the people around us. I can see people's loud kids. I can see people who, you know, are harder to get along with in our church. I can see those things. Or I can see gifts that are hidden there in those people. I can focus on the things that annoy me or I can focus on the things that God has made them very powerful in. It's my choice. It's your choice. If we could stand.